I just need to ask you one question this morning. What did you do last week to glorify God? Just think about that a second. What did you do last week to glorify God? Sang his praise. Sang his praise? How about 1 Corinthians 10, 31? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He's talking about eating and drinking. And he's not talking about just giving thanks for it. And every knee shall bend, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, brethren, if everything you do is supposed to be to the glory of God, and the lost man at the very end, the final focus is the glory of God, what do you think the whole thing's about? It's about God's glory. And the way that works is, for somebody to make something, for an artist to draw a good work of art, for a contractor to build a fine home, it brings credit to him. And we are all his creation. Then when you function as he designed you to function, you bring him credit, you bring him glory. Because you're his product. The only part of it you bring to the mix is your free will. When you stop and think about it, God made roses, didn't he? And Adam put the thorns on it indirectly. <laughs> when I was thinking about some of that last week, big old banana spider out there, my wife said she almost walked into one the other day. She said, almost made me hurt myself. <laughs> Those things are not supposed to eat poisonous to you, but boy, they'll make you hurt yourself really bad. You walk in and one, it grabs onto your face. <laughs> but... God made all those things, but Adam's the one that put the fear in you for him. You know, the snake, where do you get his venom, Adam? He said, what'd Adam do? He cursed his whole planet. The whole thing is under a curse. And part of that curse will be lifted there throughout the millennium, you know, when the lion lays down with the lamb and everybody becomes a vegetarian. And, you know, I don't know how much of that stuff gets cured. I don't know if the wasps will lose their stings. You know, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I know that the part we bring to the mix normally is not good. But if you do this thing the way God designed you to do it, whatsoever you do in word or deed, you can do to the glory of God. It's not just limited to singing praises. I mean, you had another chance this morning. His name is wonderful. Was that just kind of a routine for you this morning? Or were you thinking about his name being wonderful? Amen. Or was it just kind of like, oh, well, we're here now. Okay, service is going to start. Anyway, we're talking about understanding and knowing God. And in order to do that, last week we looked at some of these things where you've got to get back to go to the future. Brother Selden's one of his favorite themes in movies is this business of time travel. I have to agree with him. I think that's some really fascinating stuff. <laughs> and that's one of those crazy movies where it really gets in depth about this moving forward and backward and all that other stuff. But this time travel thing, back to the future, if you're going to get into the future and be where you want to be, you're going to have to back up from where you are right now. Because it's kind of like you missed first, second, third, and fourth grade. In fact, I think you actually got misdirected. You know, it's kind of like a student when they started teaching that crazy new math and for three or four or five years he was taught that stuff and then all of a sudden they dropped it and started going back. 
I mean, you talk about confusion. But anyway, to get back into the future, we looked over at Matthew 18, and we talked about getting your mind off yourself, and God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, and you got to become like a little child and humble yourself. And then we got on over into this, how can you as a child understand your parent, your father? How can any child understand their parent? I mean, I'm looking at a couple of little kids back there pointing out pictures in the corner, little bitty ones, you know, they just gravitate together. Little children get a security from each other. They feel more comfortable with each other. You ever notice that? Little kids, you can be carrying little babies, man, and they'll spot another little baby way over there and just lock eyes on each other. They're more secure, they're more comfortable. I guarantee you, you'll be a whole lot more comfortable in my presence than you would be in God's right here this morning. You say, well, we're in God's presence, yeah, but not in the flesh. <laughs> you get in front of him, everything will be different instantly. But if you're gonna understand God, you're not gonna be able to get it from one of your siblings, another Christian. If you're gonna understand God, you're gonna have to get it from the parent. You say, well, what are you bothering teaching us for? Because I'm supposed to declare the whole counsel of God. I'm supposed to teach the things that I've been taught. But when it comes right down to it, you're not going to get anything from me unless God's involved. What are you going to understand? Your understanding is going to be limited by your ability to grasp what you know and your experience and your exposure and the things like that. Last week, I made a comment. Brother Mark said it was a shocking statement. <laughs> what was it? You have freedom in sin. You do. Yeah, I guarantee you, if I made a statement like that in a lot of churches, that's exactly the response I'd get. You know why? Because the Laodicean church is so much about works that it doesn't just stop with soul winning and Bible reading and prayer and being in there every time the church doors are open. And if you're not, it's a sin. It's all about everything you do. You need to quit doing this. You need to quit doing that. I mean, when you get a preacher going into somebody's bedroom closet to look and see if they're hiding a TV in there, you're out there in Never Never Land. You really, really are. I mean, that stuff is just craziness. We have freedom in sin. You want me to prove it to you? Are you thinking, man, living in sin? <laughs> you don't have freedom to sin. That's not where your freedom lies. Your freedom lies that you have freedom in sin. Look over at Romans 8, 1 to 2. Is this thing going to be about sin and stuff? No, it's all about the glory of God. The whole thing's about the glory of God. Romans 8, 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, if you're a Laodicean church member, you know what you're going to read? You're going to say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you're not walking after the spirit, you're walking after the flesh. Wrong. You say, how do you know that? This flesh is dead. It's dead. I'm crucified with Christ. You say, well, uh, 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 well, that's kind of, no, that statement right there is connected directly to the eternal security that God gave you. That's what that is. Laodicean church member will read that thing and oh, oh, it's conditional. No, it's not conditional. That's part of the benefit. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. Those don't walk after the flesh. 
They walk after the spirit. That's what that is. That's more of the benefits. But God has written this thing so uniquely balanced throughout the whole word of God. It's just like a thing, an illustration I told you with that pencil. You stand that thing up on its point, you know, where the slightest influence will make it fall one way or the other. That's the way God wrote this whole book. You want it to be about you? It can be about you the whole way through. You want it to be about him? All of a sudden, it's a whole different world. Everything changes. Everything in life starts to change. And it doesn't have anything to do with what I know and what I believe and whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. That stuff just goes all out the window. It means almost nothing. What else? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus who hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. Now let me ask you this. Do you sin? When did you sin last? Two seconds ago. Let me tell you something. You live in almost a constant state of sin. Almost constant. You say, well, is there times when you don't sin? Yeah, I think there are very few unique periods of time when you don't sin. And that's when that fellowship with God becomes so intense that you're overwhelmed with his presence, with his fellowship, with his glory, with his awe and wonder. He is just right there and he just fills you up and your joy just goes. Those times you say, prove it to me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. When have you ever done that? Ever. Living in sin isn't just shacking up with somebody. You say, well, I don't do that, so I'm better. That's the part of us that God cannot stand. You know why? Because part of his glory is this absolute magnificence that he's given us because we were sealed it says we're sealed over there in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 2 Corinthians 1, We're sealed. Sealed by what? The Holy Spirit. You know what it's like? I got this little above ground swimming pool I put in for Joan and I to mess around in. If I took all my important papers, my documents, and threw them out in the water, they'd get all wet, wouldn't they? But if I put them in a Ziploc bag, toss them in the water, there they are. In the water, staying dry. But what God did for us is even more of a miracle than that. Because it'd be like me jumping in that water and my clothes get wet and I stay dry. That's what it's like. You're living in a world that is just absolutely overwhelmed with sin everywhere. Thou shalt not covet. Every advertisement you've ever seen your whole life is directed around getting you to violate that commandment. They try to get you to want something you don't have. And a lot of you do. <laughs> but this business about loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. I mean, when I say, how'd you glorify God this last week? You realize how far you missed it? Unless you said, my very breath glorifies God. My heart beating glorifies God. Without him, I can do nothing. In him, I live and move and have my being. Man, that's some strong stuff. And you get over into that realm, you're still not there with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You get a little closer. But I can tell you this. My flesh, there is nothing in it that dwells any good thing. You say, what about your soul? Well, my soul's sealed. (laughs) That thing's taken care of. 
I get to singing that, how great thou art. And I start singing, then sings my soul. You realize that my emotions right now are not connected to this flesh. You know where that emotion comes from? It comes from my heart. And that part of the heart is directly connected to my soul. That's the part of me that enjoys fellowship with God. This flesh don't. Your flesh like reading the Bible? Your flesh like getting down on your knees and praying? <laughs> I doubt it. But that soul part of you, when the Lord comes around and begins to fellowship with you, everything's beginning to change then. The greatest moments you have in your life with God have nothing to do with you. There's no thought of you whatsoever. Those times are when it's all him and you're just in awe of your creator. Those are the good times. Anyway, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Our salvation and our eternal security never has depended upon us and never will. You think by stopping your sins, you have accomplished something? What do you think you've done? You live in a constant state of violating at least the first commandment. You know what's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with that picture is the self-righteousness that's developed when you begin to clean up your life. Instead of realizing the absolute miracle and wonder of what God has done for us. You say, are you telling us to go out and sin and just give up and do anything we want to do? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. But when you start feeling like you're better than somebody else, that's the stuff that God doesn't like at all. What he wants is he wants you to be humble like a little child. I was thinking this morning about some of these things. And, you know, is there such a thing as heat and cold? You don't have any cold. You can take away all the heat and you get it down to a certain 480 some degrees below zero or something. But is there darkness? No, there's only absence of light. But uh, when you get right down to some of these things, is there such a thing as humility? I don't know. He says humble yourselves. I mean, I understand that. But maybe humbling yourself is the absence of pride. Because you can't make yourself humble. All you can do is eliminate pride in your life. And when you begin to realize that all of these benefits that God, your creator, has provided for you through Jesus Christ allows you to live in a sin-cursed world in a body that continues to sin and you're unaffected by it, that's your freedom in sin. I mean, it's like being in the water and staying dry. <laughs> and that's a miracle. It has nothing to do with you. You say, what about over there in 1 John? You go over there and look at that real close, you're going to realize that that thing is more about fellowship with a holy God than it is about your sins. You say, well, it says, you know, if we say we have no sin, it's more about being honest with God. Why? Because he says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. If we say we haven't sinned, we're a liar. Is that about your sins? Is that him telling you, I want you to specifically confess each one of these sins before you and I can fellowship? It's not about the sin. It's about the fellowship and it's about you being honest with him. You know what honesty is? God, I'm nothing. I deserve nothing. 
everything that I have and ever will have and everything that will happen in my life is all because of you. And when you finally see him face to face and you recognize for the first time ever, and you realize it in this realm of reality that you can't get through this glass darkly, but you look at him and you have perfect knowledge and perfect understanding and you're alive and that life is connected to him and everything that you have, every molecule of your being exists because he created it. He's allowed us to be part of his creation. That's the way it really is in life. And the more you think that you've accomplished anything, the worse it is for you. Look over here in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Now, these verses here escaped me for a long time. I kid you not. You say, well, do you think you understand them now? I think I do. You say, do you for sure? I don't know. <laughs> I just think I do. I mean, it fits together with some things that I've experienced in the last few months and year now, almost a year and a half. It fits with this stuff. And up until last week when I read this, I still didn't get it. Look at these first two verses, chapter eight. Now as touching things that's offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Now, isn't that one of those crazy verses like the Laodicean church where he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth if you believe you're part of that Laodicean church period? Isn't that one of those nervous kind of verses where you read that and you say, hmm, you trying to tell me something, God? It's kind of like, I think I saw something move behind that bush. What was that? That's how I approach some of those verses like that. I read those things and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I know there's more there than meets the eye. If I think I know anything, then I don't know anything as yet I ought to know. What is that? That gets down to the realm of the things that I was taught. For example, I believe this King James Bible is a preserved word of God. <laughs> Brother Selden doesn't believe that. <laughs> you say, you picking on Brother Selden? No, I'm not. In the past, however, I would defend my position. That was important. Now, is it the truth? In my opinion, it is. I believe Psalms, you know, 12, 6 and 7. Words of the Lord are pure words. Silver tried to furnish the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. After studying three years of Greek and a year of Hebrew and translating both ways and realizing you can take one Greek word and translate that one word 27 different ways, be grammatically correct. And how in the world could anybody possibly translate any of this stuff without supernatural innovation and come up with anything that makes sense? Let alone how the thing is organized and put together so that when you get on the other side of this coin, you realize, man, look at everything's about God. <laughs> it's not about an instruction book for me. It all points back to him. And when you start pointing back to him, everything starts straightening itself out. And when you start to understand that it's all about him, the knowledge you begin to gain then takes away from all this other stuff. You know what the thing about the King James means to me right now? I'm confident and comfortable with it. I'm comfortable that what I'm reading is true and right. And that's what God wants me to have. You think I'm going to spend five minutes defending that thing right now? You say, well, wouldn't you defend it if somebody came up and talked to you about it? I'd try to impart to them what I believe and why, and that's the end of it. Most of all, 
I'd want to say, man, do you realize you've missed the most important thing? You spent your time on the word instead of on the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know, you say, well, the scriptures speaketh expressly and you can't separate God from the scripture and all that other stuff. Because back there when the scripture spoke, it wasn't, it wasn't printed text. So you can get real close to that stuff and you can't separate God from his word. At the same time, I can burn this. Can't burn God. This didn't die for me. This didn't shed its blood for me. The word did. This just tells me about it and it tells me more about him. What's it designed to do? It's designed to draw my affections to him. That's what it's designed to do. So when you read these kind of things and you say, well, if you know anything, you don't know anything as you ought to know, Brother Mark can testify immediately that everything he knew is totally different now than it used to be. Everything. Everything he reads in the Word of God is totally different than it was. For me, I can speak expressly for myself. I feel no compulsion to defend anything that I believe to anybody. It's gone. Why? Because it's just about him. That's all it is. I don't have to defend what I believe to anybody. Why? Because it's not about me. It's not about what I believe. Am I right? Am I wrong? Does my security lie in me? No, it doesn't. Everything that I have, hold, am, will be forever. Every breath I take, every beat of my heart, each one of the three billion functions in my brain per second all come from him. Every bit of it. So when you start thinking in those terms, why do you have to argue with anybody about anything? You say, well, I believe this guy's doing wrong. I'm not doing it and I feel better about myself. And you know those subtle feelings are there. You feel more righteous and more holy and better. You feel better than so-and-so because you don't do these things and they do. If you violate the first commandment constantly, what room do you have to speak? None. I mean, if nothing else, those things ought to put you in a position of humility. And humility, no doubt, is the key to understanding God. There's no question about that. And this thing comes down to knowledge versus love is what it comes down to. We'll touch on that just for one second. We won't even get over there and read it. Next week, we'll go into that. But you get over to 1 Corinthians 13, where it starts talking about charity. And you realize that what happens is that the knowledge that God gives you about himself, listen, the knowledge God gives you about himself compels you to love him more and more and appreciate him more and more and more. It doesn't add to your pride. It's not about being puffed up. Well, I've read the Bible through this many times. Well, I've memorized this many verses. Well, I can quote this. Well, our doctrine's right. Well, we foot wash and you guys don't. None of that. What it does is all of that stuff becomes almost superficial. Is it important? Yes, God says it's important. It ain't as important as he is. And as long as you feel that the way you live and the things you do are more important and that they need to be done and you have that sense of duty you're carrying around with you, that's not his yoke. It's not his burden. When you get your attention focused on him, those other things will start taking their proper place. And that verse right there, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know, will begin to make some sense to you. Let's close in prayer. We'll get into this next week, Lord willing.